What's up? My name is Alex Terranova. I am the host of the Dream Mason podcast. Welcome. We started this in 2017 because we wanted to highlight the journey of Dream Masons. There's a Dream Mason in all of us. A Dream Mason is someone who is awake to their dreams and driven by the passion, the purpose, and the desire to turn that dream into reality. We interview athletes, gold medalists, Super Bowl champions, artists, creatives, eight, nine-figure entrepreneurs, spiritual leaders, and everyone in between. And sometimes we even walk them through challenges that they're currently facing. So depending on whether you're catching this as a regular interview or a playing with problems segment, there is something for you, whether you're at the peak of your journey, at the low point of your journey. I look forward to having you join me on this journey. And I hope that this show helps you unleash your inner Dream Mason. What's up? And welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm your host, as always, and seemingly forever, Alex Terranova. Um, I wonder if one day somebody else will be hosting this show. Um, but you know, for now, you are stuck with me, uh, and I am stuck with you, and I like it that way. Um, so let's let's talk today. What are we going to talk about? Well, I'm going to introduce you to our guest in a moment. He is literally in the jungle. He is streaming to us from the jungle. Uh, which is so cool because I think sometimes we think that if we were to kind of go, you know, he's not totally off the grid, right? He has internet. But if we were to like go out of traditional civilization, then we like become disconnected and we're not able to work or we're not able to do things like a podcast. And while this episode is audio only because the signal wasn't as, as you know, wasn't super strong and great, um, we're still able to do things like this. You know, we're still able to work from wherever we want in the world. We're still be able to create whatever we want. And often I think what happens is our fears, our fears of, of discomfort or the unknown keep us from like, no, no, this is how work has to be, or this is how we have to live to, to make it. And I love when I get to speak with people who are doing it in completely different ways um, and making it work. Uh, before I introduce you to our guest, uh, I want to just tell you, you know, I, I met him through a men's group. So probably about a year ago, I don't know how how long he's been in it compared, you know, to me, if he's been there since the beginning, but uh, about a year ago, a guy I went to high school with, a guy named Mazuro created a men's group and reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to be in it. Very like low commitment. Do you want to show up to this thing and be with other guys and share your heart and your feelings? At the time, you know, I was like on the fence, honestly, if I'm being real, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Do I want to do this on a Sunday and like get up and like, you know, I could be like sitting in front of the TV and like drinking some coffee or I could be like out in the sun I'm in San Diego, you know, like just enjoying myself. But I said, yes. And I think I said, yes, because there was just that call. There's just a thing inside of me that's craving connection. And one of the things I'm observe, observed in this community, but that I've observed when you bring men together in general. Now, I can't say how this is for women. I'm not a woman. I don't want to speak for that. But what I've noticed with men is, you know, you can sit men around and somebody like Brene Brown or some expert in 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 like feelings, emotions, vulnerability can talk to us all day long about how being vulnerable is strong and 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 actually shows strength and and somebody like Brene Brown could tell us about how it's an aspect of leadership and men can understand it in our minds 
But then when we're out in the world and it becomes time to show our hearts, our feelings, our emotions and be vulnerable, it's often not going to happen because we understand it in our minds, but we don't know it in our bones and in our body. And what I think men often understand in our bones and our body are things we experience. And so what I've noticed over the course of this last year, and not only being part of a Zeros group, but now I have a, a group that I launched, a men's group. I have an in-person men's group that I run. Um, I host men's retreats. If any of those things are interesting to you as you're listening, including, you know, Azuros, uh, feel free to reach out to me, Alex at thedreammason.com, and I, I can connect you or plug you into one of these things. Um, what I've noticed though is when men are together. And then a man shows vulnerability or a man shows his emotions or a man shows his feelings and another man has the experience of being with that, especially when they're men that the other men respect or are curious about or they view as you know, a leader or, or strong or a man or masculine, whatever that means to them, all of a sudden it gives them the permission that they need to. And then they can go out in the world and they can do whatever they want because they've actually had the experience. And, and the way that I think this looks on the, on the, often on the negative side is I talk to a lot of men who are like, anger and rage is a bad thing. And I could tell them all day long about how anger and rage can actually be a really good thing. You know, you're walking down the street with your kids and somebody jumps out and tries to grab one of your kids. You better want to bring anger and rage to protect your family. doesn't mean you have to hurt that person, but anger and rage can define boundaries when they're used intentionally. But a lot of men saw their fathers bring anger and rage used unintentionally and out of control. And so the experience taught them that anger and rage is bad and that's how they live their life now. Anger and rage is bad. They either do it out of control or they avoid it. And you can talk to them all day long about the idea that anger and rage can be a helpful tool and emotion but until they actually maybe experience it or see it in a way, or they let themselves have that, they don't necessarily fully believe it in their muscles, their bones, and just like deep into their body. So that's a little bit about how we got here, how I met our guest today. We're going to talk about masculinity. We're going to talk about dads. We're going to talk about how he ended up in the jungle and the work he's doing out there. Um, let me tell you a little about him. He is multi-talented. He's a create he is a creative force and he's got a passion for this rhymes. He's got a passion for fashion, uh, wellness and personal transformation. He spent years as a creative director in the fashion industry and he has an innate understanding of the power of self-expression through style. He's also worked as an experienced designer for culture and events in the hospitality industry. He's brought his unique perspective on creativity and culture to every project he touches. But there's more. He's also an energetic healer. He's an embodiment coach, and he helps others tap into their inner power and potential through movement and energy work. And he's actually out in Costa Rica in the jungle because he is doing a primal movement residency, which we're going to have to learn a little bit about what that means. And he's on a 28-day warrior's journey experience. Tori Famuyiwa, welcome to the Dream Mason podcast. Thanks for being here, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Alex. <laughs> you did great. <laughs> I, uh, I people, he's, Tori's laughing because I just like butchered his name three times. Um, and and Tori, you don't know this about me. And people that know, listen to this podcast for a long time have heard me say this. It's I don't if your name is like Brad Smith, I get like anxiety with like the most basic 
bland names. Like I just, I get like name anxiety. I have like reverence for wanting to say people's names correctly, which then gives me anxiety about messing it up. And then once you're in that, right. then I'm like, then I'm in my own head instead of just like, Hey, actually this like rolls off the tongue. It's actually not hard at all. (laughs) Quite all right, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Thanks for taking time out of a jungle excursion and a primal movement residency and a warrior's journey to be here. Thank you. It's good to be here. (laughs) Will you tell us, people can't see you because we're only doing this on audio, but will you tell us like where, describe where you are right now? So right now I am in Costa Rica. Um, Specifically, I am at Stunia, which is in Malpai. town right next to Santa Teresa. Um, I am literally in the jungle, you know, while we're sitting here, we have squirrels, monkeys jumping from limb to limb on the trees, and I have a beautiful view of the ocean, um, but completely surrounded by nature on the sounds of nature. So yeah, that's where I am uh, connecting mm-hmm. with you from today, brother. <laughs> And you're there doing a primal movement residency. I, you know, I'm I'm a little bit familiar with that mean with what that means. But will you actually actually explain it for the the listeners that don't know what that means? Yeah. So primal movement is um, is an embodiment practice that involves rediscovering and reconnecting you with your innate primal nature to move, feel, and express yourself fully. Um, it's the easy way to describe it, it's almost like a yoga and a weight training combined. You get flexibility, mobility, and strengthening through this workout. You use every muscle in your body and you activate every joint. Um, it's almost like when we were children and then we played around, you know, walking like a dog, walking like a cat. Um, this is what this, this, this embodiment flow kind of encapsulates so it's uh just moving on the ground on the floor you don't need any weight just your body and moving around in all ranges of movement um to activate all the muscles in the body yeah yeah so primal movement is and i believe is the movement for the future because you can literally be anywhere and be able to do this workout and you feel the difference how did you get into primal how did this get introduced into your life <laughs> uh last Last March, I was still living in Miami, and the the young man that systemized this movement, his name is Nick. Um, Nick came to Miami to do a workshop, I believe, on his way to Mexico. Um, he did a one-week workshop, and I saw him, I saw his video of him moving. He's a 55-year-old man, and there was just something that connected for me, like, whoa, this is how we're meant to move. You know, and then I took a few of his classes and I was in love, you know, just, it was fun. It was energetic. Um, and yeah, lots of people showed up for the class. It was very, very sweaty. And again, there was just something innate that, I, that just told me, this is how we're meant to be able to move our bodies. You know, if we keep using every part of our body, you know, they say, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Um, so yeah, just <laughs> connecting back to, everything and um and after doing this workshop in miami he decided that he wanted to actually make this global he lives in ibiza and this is a man that um once upon a time used to be a drug lord um he got locked up um in a prison in south america for about eight years and while he was in prison 
he a book of yoga made its way to him in prison and mm. this is really great he transformed his life um mindfulness embodiment and this is where he started to systemize this primal movement workshop um last year uh may he brought 20 of us from around the world to ibiza to teach the first class on on the system that he had developed um with the hopes that we will take this everywhere around the world um so yeah it was last uh, pretty much a year ago that i went to ibiza did a two-month workshop with him and um now here i am teaching it <laughs> so you live your life in miami ibiza and costa rica it's not it's not that's not bad yeah, well, actually, I relocated from the U.S. last September, and right now I am traveling. The goal is to make Bali my home, but right now I am, yeah, traveling the globe, you know, and uh, having a human experience while, you know, activating um, people's uh, energetic, mental body, mindful connection. Yes, not bad at all. <laughs> then, then. What's the warrior I mentioned at the beginning that you are were in or are in a 28-day experience called the warrior's journey? What is that? What are you doing? Um, the warrior's journey. So I, the warrior's journey is over now, but the warrior's journey is a systemized program that a dear friend and brother put together. Um, and it's uh, pretty much connecting with your highest self through lots of mindfulness practices um, and going through portals. I describe it almost like a, as a rebirth, but in order to be rebirth to go through the other side, you have to clear through shadows, limiting beliefs, um, face your deepest fears. So it was 28 days. Um, there was 13 of us in this group that did a deep dive into self and uh, doing this work together and showing up and sharing our biggest, deepest, darkest secrets. Um, it was quite emotional, lots of tears. Um, some parts of it was painful. There were some portals like, you know, Timescals and walking on coals and things like that, mm. you know, jumping off cliffs and waterfalls. Uh -huh. uh, just to face our deepest, darkest fears to be able to come out through the other side brand new. Um, so that's what the warrior's journey is. Um, to be able to help us live our fullest, truest potential without any fear, knowing that the universe has us and we're supported and everything that we need, we have. How did you get, what had you go from, actually, let me say this differently. What, what opened you up to wanting to do all this, you know, personal development work? Is this, is this something that like has been with you since you were a child or did this come later in life? This has always been with me, you know, I call in the last few years, my journey, radical self-expansion. I'm a very curious person. I'm a very curious being. Um, since I was young, I always ask questions um, because, you know, my intuition, I would say my intuition has been on, you know, in this particular lifetime that I know of. And um, knowing that there is more, it's asking questions and, uh, you know, asking why we're here, what is the biggest purpose? You know, what is my purpose here on this beautiful spinning globe? And with that, you know, doing the work and knowing that, you know, clearing whatever shadows are there and um, social constructs that have been put inside of us and, uh, you know, just trying to heal, 
the best I can, you know, because we all have trauma, whether we know it or not. So, you know, for me, once I recognized there were traumas there, you know, I started to do the work to try to heal, clear them, because I noticed when I clear and heal a trauma or a wound, the universe rewards me with a gift. So it's almost like you have to release something to be able to receive. You know, you can't receive with a closed fist. Um, and my life experience has kind of shown me this. So for me, it's like just jumping in. I'm like, okay, where else can I release anything and surrender to be able to truly live my full, my truest, full, fullest life? Mm. You know, as a man, it's, I think there's, a, there are obviously a lot of men that are into personal growth, spiritual growth, professional growth. Men are more often more resistant to ask for help, get support um, <laughs> to go down this path, right? There are, there are many that do, but, but they're more unique. What do you, what do you think? You know, you, I'm sure you're around more men that are doing work like this. What do you think is the thing that's missing that would appeal to bring more men into like being able to heal themselves? Well, I would, well, so for me, my personal stories, I am, I'm an empath. I've always been, I've known this since I was young. I would see, and for the record, I grew up in Nigeria, um, born in the U.S., grew up in Nigeria. And then once I was 18, moved to the U.S. and was there till I was well into my forties. But I remember growing up and seeing beggars on the street and feeling their pain and having an emotion and crying. Um, I remember when I was in primary school, there was a young boy whose family didn't have much. And I remember giving him all of my pocket money and I came back home and asked for more pocket money and I got chastised for it. Um, so I've always been somewhat of a bleeding heart and uh, I was kind of talked out of it or people tried to talk me out of it like saying it's weak don't be so sensitive be stronger you know toughen up and growing up I kind of walked away from that aspect of myself not completely um because I've always realized that my emotions, being an empath, um, is one of my superpowers, you know. Um, but I've gone from not wanting to be identified with it to now embracing it. I even say I'm sensitive. I'm like, yes, I am. Thank you very much. I like the fact that I feel. So I know that I'm a different and a unique type of man. I'm also gay, you know. So I've, I grew up feeling othered, feeling outside the box, and I've had to form my own way and carve my own way and know that there was a different truth out there from the truth that I was told, you know, um, as I said, I'm intuitive and I came into this lifetime knowing certain things deep down inside, in spite of what I was told. Um, so I would say being, having the ability to tap into your emotions is what I think one of the biggest opportunities for men, because we are taught for the most part not to feel our emotions and not to cry and you know because it's looked at as weak you know um and i think what we allow us to be able to step into this work 
is the power of vulnerability. To me, it's vulnerability is the superpower. Um, because when we can show how vulnerable we are, then all guards are down and people can really show up for you and be able to give you the tools and resources you need. But it starts with letting down our shield, letting go of the ego, letting go of any preconceived notion of how things should look or how things should be. You know, knowing that as humans, we are both masculine and feminine. We have both in us. And when we're truly balanced and harmonized is when we embrace both aspects of ourselves. You know, getting away from the social construct of, you know, what we know exists in terms of masculinity and feminine and femininity, but knowing that what makes anyone or anything or any society truly whole is when both sides are properly balanced. You know, so I would say if men are able to tap into their intuition, which is considered the feminine side a little bit more, it would allow us to be able to, to hear, feel, ask for help that we, that we need to be able to step into our higher self. I hope I answered that question properly. <laughs> well, it's good. There's no right answer. So it's just, it's just what you, what you think. Thank you. Yeah. And I think you shared a lot. Um, I'm curious too, as you know, one of the things I talk about a lot with men is these ideas of what it means to be a man and all these yeah. stories and myths about what a man is versus what a man isn't. And one of the things that I feel very strongly about is, is uh, what it means to be a man needs to be defined by each man individually. It's, mm. not, it's not for the collective. And it's based on the kind of life you want to live and the kind of parent or father or partner or leader or business owner that you want to create and, and experience. So right, if you want to live your life as a, you know, as a military person, what it would mean to be a man would be very different than if you wanted to live your life as a caretaker of children, right? Those, I, I don't necessarily want those same two people doing the opposite jobs. I also mm. think, I also think that that military man, when he comes home to his children might want to be able to take that military mask off and put something else on. I'm curious, what do you think it means to be a man? Um, I think it's more me important to ask the question, what does it mean to be a human? Because we live in a world right now where it's masculine, it's feminine, it's men, it's women. But really, uh, what does it mean to be a human? which for me encapsulates being a, more, a fully well-rounded being. But to specifically answer your question, what does it mean to be a man is for me to be able to truly express, have freedom of expression, whatever that looks like. Um, I grew up in a household where I learned love, kindness, and empathy from my father. You know, my father being an African man, um, very, very different upbringing. You know, my father would apologize when he feels he was out of line or, or, or you know, was in the wrong. Where my mother, on the other hand, was the disciplinarian. You know, she is a strong woman. She is 
gangster is the way I describe my mom. And, you know, she was <laughs> a disciplinarian. She was the OG, you know. And again, growing up as an African man, that is usually not the case. Um, so I have a very different view on what it means to be a man, you know, because I've very much been, I've been tapped into both the masculine and feminine aspects of my being and then watching my parents, the way we grew up, you know, I've harnessed both. So being me, being masculine, being a man just means being fully, truly authentic in who you are um, um, and having your freedom of expression, um, freedom of freedom to speak your truth, um, whatever that is. Um, and uh, yeah, freedom to be a human because being a man looks very different for everybody, you know, um, and that will depend on your geographical location, your culture, your history, all of those things, all the social constructs that have been put inside of you. That's why I feel like being a human is um, probably a better way for us to be able to identify ourselves going forward because <clears throat> we are all the same at the end of the day, you know, we're all in a skin suit and uh, <clears throat> it's helpful to see ourselves in the other, whether man or woman and knowing that we need each other to be able to really um, co-create the best kind of existence um, for this planet. I want to, um, I want to ask you this and I'm going to try my best to, to to say it in a way that conveys how I want to understand it. You know, I think one of the, the things is we we're all in a skin suit and we're all the same, but we're all having unique experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. And like you and I can have the same experience and interpret it completely differently. Right. We can be in yeah. the same place, have the same, same thing happen to us <laughs> and have a completely different interpretation. And so I, I'm curious for two things, you know, as a as a black man and as a gay man, what's the biggest challenge that you feel like you've had with those aspects of your reality of those experiences and i want to hear the opposite too what has been the biggest blessings of mm. of, of of that being the reality that which you've lived in ah hmm. oh. so the biggest challenge is what i'll call the biggest opportunity because the challenge usually seems like it's so insurmountable an opportunity is like oh this is just for me to figure out a way how to get around this. Um, wow, biggest opportunity as a person of color and a gay man. So two, two things, growing up in Nigeria, I really did not know what gay was. I knew I was different. I felt it. Mm. I, was, I was a creative soul from a very, very young age. I started sewing, I think when I was eight years old and, you know, um, I would be get called effeminate sometimes. And where I don't particularly remember feeling traumatized about it because I also had a cohort of amazing people around me. Um, there's been a challenge of, or opportunity of being accepted by my parents fully because they don't fully get it or are not fully open to accepting that their son is different, you know? Um, but for me, I've always marched to the beat of my own drum and my uniqueness 
is what makes me shine. It's what makes me stand out. It's what makes me, it's why I'm here, you know, not necessarily to conform, but to be the best version of myself. And anytime I remember that, I've thrived. So, you know, me being different helped me be able to, I studied international business. When I worked in fashion, I kind of ditched that, put that to the side. And I stayed in fashion because my intuition told me that this, is, this was the direction for me. So in that essence, something that seemed oh, like an opportunity for me was also a blessing. You know, I was able to use fashion as an armor and a shield. You know, I was able to use um, language as an armor and a shield. I was able to use my queerness to be able to enter spaces that would normally be a challenge and opportunity for a person of color, you know, stepping into a space. So being queer, being, having a colorful um, uh, outlook on life and, you know, the way I present myself and project myself was an opportunity and gave me access into spaces that most Black people do not have access mm -hmm. into, you know, but at the same time, I would notice being in the spaces and being the only person of color. And the opportunity came where people would, so I was a creative director in the fashion industry for well over 20 years. I started young when I was 19. So I, I moved up in the industry very quickly, you know. I was a regional, you know, opening major stores, working with angels, all of that stuff. And I also look young. So I'll step into a space as the leader, as a director, and you would have people question who I was, why I was there, why I was on the podium. Mm -hmm. And I almost knew this because I'm intuitive. I'm a, I pick up energy and I'm stepping into the space. So I would almost put on the defense mechanism, you know, and <laughs> very funny now when I think back to, those days, you know, knowing what my advantages were, but at the same time, stepping into spaces and people like, what are you, what are you doing here? You know, and if you're here, why are you up there? Why are you not in the back? So, you know, the two double-edged swords um, that I had to learn how to balance, you know, um, I talked about using the way I dress and the way I speak, you know, to be able to gain access into spaces. I call that code switching. I mm -hmm. learned very moving to the U.S., how to code switch, you know. One of my opportunities is the fact that I grew up in Nigeria and I was surrounded by nothing but excellence. All I saw was everybody was Black and we were everything. Doctors, lawyers, engineers, all of that. Both my parents are in the medical field. And then moving to the U.S. at 18, walking and stepping into spaces the way I do, kingly, people would, one, some people might, find it admirable and some people said they reminded me of coming to America <laughs> and some people would look at me like who are you and how dare you walk into this space even some black people would question the way I would walk into a space and I knew why at a very young age I'm like because thankfully I grew up knowing that I could be anything I could achieve anything and nothing was holding me back and then moving here I was able to stand to that where people tried to tell me who I am and tried to knock me down many pegs. But I'm like, no, I actually know who I am. Who you're telling me I am is that doesn't ring true for me. Mm -hmm. That doesn't resonate with me. Um, so I'm very thankful that my parents took me back home 
and raised me there before I came back to the U.S. at 18. But I could see where the 400 years of, you know, what enslavement and the, the systemic, you know, <laughs> racism that in the United States has truly affected everything, yeah. you know. But it's me knowing who I am and standing in my truth. I'm like, yeah, you can't tell me <laughs> who I am, you know, and I've had opportunities of being followed and all those things. But still knowing that people are a product of, of their environment. And I say, you can't get mad at the baby for not walking. And um, always leading with love and just trying to be a good shining example, you know, and uh, to um, hopefully turn hearts and minds. Thank you for, um, I just want to thank you for going really deep into that. Like even, even adjusting, something I love that you did was you even took the question and like re and like played with it, like puzzle piece and adjusted <laughs> it, which I like, I, I really do have, I think in a lot of ways, you know, there's two sides to that kind of thing is like politicians do it to not answer questions, right? They actually take the the puzzle pieces and rearrange them. So it's a whole different puzzle. What uh -huh. I felt like you just did was you actually took the the question or the puzzle pieces and align them simply to fit who you are and how you would express yourself and how you would express your experience and your journey. And I think that is a really powerful thing because Eve, like almost like just what we were saying before, the way I say something doesn't necessarily land exactly how I, maybe I meant it to, or how you hear it and how you respond. Yeah. You're also tailoring a response because you don't want to just say something. You want it to be heard a certain way, which I think it's a very, very powerful quality of a leader that that gets um, that people that people miss or overstep. They are like, well, well, I said this thing, but if it wasn't heard the way that you said it, then it doesn't matter what you said. It's really about mm. how it lands over there, because that's the point of communication. It's not, well, I said this. It's did it communicate the message? <laughs> Um, one of my favorite books that I read uh, when I was younger was The Four Agreements. And being impeccable with your word is one of those agreements. And I really try to do my best to, to, to live by that value, you know. So I understood fully the essence of your question, hence why I wanted to be able to give you a full-bodied and fair answer, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate it. I think it's, it is one, like I said, it's just, it's one of the most, it's something that people usually don't do. They just answer the question or they change it completely. But I love that what you did with that. Um, I'm curious, cause you've come, you know, you've, you've shared a lot about your childhood and you've come a long way and something that you shared with me before we hopped on here. Um, I know you said you've had many challenges, but something that you shared with me a challenge that you faced is something that I think comes up for a lot of people when it comes to taking risks. So, you know, I remember when I used to be in the hospitality business and opening restaurants and, and running teams and operations and whatnot. And I remember when I decided that my time had kind of come to leave that world, but I was afraid to quit my job. And my coach at the time was like, what are you afraid of? And I was like, you know, I don't know, fail, fail, like not having money, basically, right? Like, how do I quit my job? Am I going to have any money? How am I going to pay my bills? And she asked me pretty point blank, like, do you think you'll be homeless? 
you know, do you think you'll lose your home? Do you think you'll be on the street? Like, what do you, what's, what's the pro, what are you afraid of losing your money? And I said, no, I, I actually don't think so. I think like, I think I'd figure it out or like I have friends or family, you know, I'm lucky that I have these things. I, you know, these relationships that I think I could get supported. I don't think I would be like living on the street. And one of the reasons I was able to quit my job and, and almost a decade ago, start my coaching and consulting practice was because I thought I will be okay, right? I'm not going to be in something I didn't think I could handle. And I think a lot of people, you know, I coach, I've been coaching people for almost a decade. And I think this comes up a lot. People are afraid to lose their jobs. They're sure. afraid to give up their comforts and their security. They're afraid of losing their home or not being able to pay their bills, all sorts of things like that. And in, you know, and one of the things you shared with me is that at one point in your life, you lost your home in New York city or New York. Oh, and and I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Not, not as, I mean, you share whatever you like, obviously, but like the emotional cool. impact, the emotional impact of, of that experience and then how you came back from that. Ooh. <laughs> oh yes. Once upon a time. Um, so living in New York, I bought a beautiful two bedroom condo in Bushwick before I was 30. I was thriving in the fashion industry. Um, and I believe is when the economy turned. I had actually working in the industry for many, for many, many years. I decided to take a bold step into myself. I knew that there was more to me than being a creative director, working on photo shoots, magazines, all of that stuff. But I was also making great money and I just did not want to leave that salary. Anyway, I finally wanted to the bold step um, to leave my job. And uh, I remember trying to get um, my mortgage adjusted to match the fact that my income had changed. And this is where being a person of color kind of came in, you know, once I, when I got, got my loan, it was a high interest rate. And when I lost my job and I was trying to get a mortgage remodification for two years, they wouldn't remodify my loan. So I still had to pay my full mortgage. And after a while, you know, I had eaten away into my savings while actually starting my new business of creating my own fashion brand. And um, in this process, I lost my home when they wouldn't remodify my um my mortgage and it was a dark time and period um i also know that this was a way of new york pushing me out letting me know that it was time to move on to something else um i had been identified with the fashion industry for so long and i could not imagine doing anything else but this forced me to start to think outside the box um, cause I knew there was so much more to me and my potential and what I could do anyways. Um, I was renting my place now for a period of time and my renters stopped paying me rent, which means I couldn't afford to pay my mortgage at my place and I couldn't afford to pay the rent at the lower, at the, at the, I was, I was paying rent that was a lot less than my mortgage and my, what I was charging my tenants was going to cover with my mortgage and the rent I was paying. And I don't know what happened. These guys all of a sudden stopped paying me. And um, 
the downward spiral started. And I remember becoming unhoused. While I was unhoused, I remember my privileges and I was thankful that I had many friends that I could stay with and that I also had family. But I also realized that this was happening for a reason and there was something I was supposed to learn from it and the process. I was in the shelter system for about a year. But while I was in the shelter, uh, first I stayed with friends for a few weeks um, and then I went into the shelter program. And um, while I was there, I had to open my eye to ask what message the universe was trying to tell me. Um, my siblings were upset with me that I did this. Um, and my siblings lived in Maryland at this point in time. And almost every other weekend, I would go home and stay with them. And then I'll come back to New York, stay in the shelter system so that I could continue looking for work and I could kind of continue building my life. You know, moving to another state for me wasn't an option because then I had to start from scratch, you know, where I still knew I had opportunities to do things in New York. While I was in the shelter, I remember creating a whole collection. I had a bridal party, a 10-person bridal party that I made all of the clothing for the bridal party while in the shelter system. Um, oh. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I, I mean, there were lots of tears. It was, for me, my rock bottom. And I remember one day laying on the bed in the shelter, looking up at the ceiling and being thankful for my upbringing because I have seen my life. I like nice things. And I knew this was going to be temporary for me. You know, I, I knew it was a mindset and I had to mentally get over this hurdle and start to dream of new ways to dream myself. I pretty much had to dream myself out of that situation. You know, so while I was there in a dark place, I actively started visualizing and dreaming what my future would look like coming out of there because I know where I, I, I come from, you know, and I know that was not my, that was not my future. I also simultaneously had a support system and I looked around at a lot of people who had nobody. All it takes for you is to not have a phone and forgive my French, you're fucked, you know, and I watched people yeah. who just had a downward spiral because they didn't have the money to pay their phone bill and couldn't reach anybody. And then this things went sideways for them or people that don't have a support system. So I had a lot of gratitude for everybody and everything that I had around me, knowing that this was temporary and it, this was going to end for me, you know, and while I was doing this, I also learned how the system worked, you know, going to advocacy groups and trying to advocate for myself for food stamps or, or shelter assistance or rent assistance and really watching how the system is built to keep people down. You know, thankfully I have an, an education so I was able to advocate for myself. But it's a heart-wrenching process because you run into kind people and you run into people that don't care about their job and your heart might get broken a few times a day and you can see how easy it is for people to stay down there because as soon as you start making $5 more than a certain gap, then you're cut off and thrown back into the system. And I learned a lot, you know, I joined many groups and that I still support till tomorrow, you know, 
helping advocate, um, ad advocating for people to be able to get themselves out of the system and back on their feet. But to specifically answer your question, how did I get out of it? I dreamt myself out of it. I started dreaming of the future that I wanted. I stopped feeling sorry for myself at a certain point in time and really feeling myself with gratitude, looking around every day and I'm like, Tori, you have friends, you have family, you have, you have everything that you need. Push comes to shove. I would go back home to Nigeria and I have a home there, you know? But um, that was the worst thing that could happen because, you know, you think if I lose my job, if this happens, if that happens, what's going to happen? It's food and shelter. Those basic needs are the things that you're really, really concerned about. Um, and uh, yeah, dreaming my way out of it is how I started to climb back out. When I was in the shelter, I got a job with Lacoste. It started out very much part-time. And before you know it, you know, I was with Lacoste for five years. I started out just um, temping in the showroom and next thing you know, you know, my creative, everything came into place. You know, I started running the showroom. Um, I started from there. I started running the wholesale chain. And from there, I became the regional for the um, wholesale market. So I was running Saks, Lord & Taylor, Bloomingdale's, all the Lacoste outlets um, in those doors in the Northeast. Um, while I was training, developing talents, developing windows, creating guidebooks. Um, but that's how I dreamt my way out of that and slowly started to build my money back up to get myself out of that uh, situation that I had put myself in. But, you know, things, I believe things don't happen to us. Things happen through us and for us to serve our highest good. And I've always had this awareness. So as this process started unfolding. Yes, my heart was on the ground and it was a rock bottom moment, but I simultaneously knew there was a reason why this was happening. And I asked the universe, what I am, what am I supposed to learn from this? What, um, because this is not, this is, this is not going to be a wasted experience and this is very temporary. So to show me, teach me and, um, and yeah, really being filled with gratitude and dreaming my my future self into a better place is how I slowly started to um, have a paradigm shift. <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine even just even just trying to get a job while you're in a shelter system, right? Like, what do you you know? What do you write on the application? What do you tell the person? You know, I'm just like those are like that in itself. Not only the ego, not only the ego and the shame that people would. Naturally, have with it, um, but the but the practicality, right? You can't. I don't know that you can send a letter, or that's an. I don't. I don't know how that works. I don't even. Yeah, is that a dude, thing? Dude, it wasn't easy. I mean, so imagine this. I went from being on top of my industry as a creative director for brands like American Eagle. I was with them for ten years. Then I was with Victoria's Secret. You know, running the flagship strategy to now being in the shelter system and now trying to come back into the industry and I could not get a job. This is where, you know, the race thing came into place again. You know, I'm, I'm applying for creative director positions and people are telling me, no, no, no. Like you don't have the skills, you don't have the talent. I'm like, I've done this. And I had to go to a temp agency yeah. to get my foot in the door of Lacoste. <laughs> and once I got my foot in that door, but yes, the ego, the writing the address of where you live, 
like uh-huh. all of that dude so humbling so humbling and that was my lesson i i had to i had to break down completely to find humility and love and kindness in people and be that love and kindness and 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 see the best in people and humanity and tap into my humanity because I could walk around with ego, but I really had to tap into my heart and watching how that magic really changed my life, you know, walking hard open into spaces and being vulnerable and it making an impact, you know, and people responding to the heart versus I could have walked in with the ego, like, listen, I have this, I have that. And so I had to learn a lot about the human experience during that process. And it wasn't easy, but um, wow, I think back now, it was like really one day at a time, one day at a time, you know, while I was making that collection in the shelter, you know, I didn't really tell many people. My best friends knew, my family knew, everybody else really didn't need to know because, and because I didn't want anybody to feel bad for me or sorry for me. I didn't want anybody to see me in a down place, not because I was ashamed about it, but I was projecting myself into the light. I'm like, and when you think of me, that's how I want you to think of me. Don't, yeah, because we are energy. So I was very mindful of where I was putting my energy and I shared people that could only co-create my better future for me and see me from my highest self versus see me at that low place. And I believe it's a culmination of all of those things that that um, got me out of it. <laughs> but it wasn't easy. <laughs> I mean, you're laughing. Wow. You're laughing about it now, which is pretty incredible. But um, yeah, man, <laughs> thanks for sharing that that story with us. What do you? Um, what advice do you have for people who are afraid to go after what they want because of you know the fears of like I might lose my home or what if I don't have money and I can't pay my bills? So they stay in situations that. Wow are not what they want to avoid that, mm. that fear. Uh, funny, not funny. I was having this conversation a few days ago and it let me remember what one of my bosses told me at the first real job that I had for 10 years. And he was like, you are the magic. Mm. Know that you are the magic. The power is in your hands. You can take your ball and, and take it anywhere that you want. Remember that they need you more than you need them. And I would advise people in no matter what situation you're in right now, interview, actively interview, because it's during this process that you see yourself through other people's eyes. You see that you are really of value and that you're a gem and you're the magic sauce and, um, and not feel beholden to anyone or anything because in truth, they need you more than you need them. And this is where I, I, I would love the world to shift to, where human capital is the most important thing. And to not feel afraid of the future, because one of my mantras is, I am blessed and highly favored. I know the universe supports me in everything that I do. And I truly believe in this, on this earth I'm, where I'm not meant to suffer. I'm meant to live poor. I'm meant to live blissfully. And the universe is going to support that always and fully. But it trusts in, it starts in me, one trusting it, believing it, 
and surrendering to the process. Um, the, any dreams or visions that we have in this lifetime, the universe doesn't give us dreams or visions that cannot come to fruition. So if you can see it in your mind's eye, it can come into reality. We just have to trust and be able to surrender to the process. I would recommend a book for anybody that is listening. It's The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. That's a great book. Fantastic book. And I, I, I go to that every now and then, you know, um, you know, when I, when I feel like I am, I, I am human in, or I think I'm controlling something and it's not going my way. I stop, you know, I say when it feels like you're pushing a boulder up a hill, now is not the time. Maybe mm -hmm. it might be an hour later. It might be a day later. It might be a month later, but in every single moment, we create the future here and now. And our one job is to make sure that we are happy in the here and now. And ideally, we should be moving with inspired action because anything that is meant to be, the universe conspires to make it happen for us. And that's the state that we should be in, a flow state. If it's too difficult, put it aside. Right now, that moment is not the moment and find something that brings you joy and do it. But um, again, to come back to your question, it's um, knowing that you're the power and uh, yeah, you can take your ball and take it anywhere and uh, they need you more than you need them. And you really need to trust and believe in yourself and your power and uh, really start daring to dream about what it is that you mm -hmm. wanna do. Ask yourself that question and dream as big as possible. This way you can start to pull your dreams towards you. Hmm. Thanks for that. When you, when you look at your life up until this point, what do you think the greatest like lesson that life has taught you has been? Hmm. Uh, there's, wow. there's, there's many, right? So you don't, you know, if you, if it's not um, one, it's okay. Um, um, I would say. Uh, the biggest lesson life has taught me is to hmm, listen to trust and listen to my gut intuition. It's never wrong. I call it the um, sixth sense. You know, we're so used to using the five senses. Mm -hmm. And our sixth sense, our gut intuition is this gift that we all have, that we have gotten away from using and tapping into. And every time you listen to it, you know how things go. And when you haven't listened to it, you're like, oh, I knew I should have done X, Y, Z. But that when we feel that gut intuition that we should trust it, you know? Um, and things that make us feel that gut intuition more is one, an embodiment exercise. When we're tapped into the body, we're more connected to our gut intuition. And uh, when we eat well, we're more connected to that gut intuition. Um, but that's one of the biggest life lessons that I've had. Um, and right now I am living from a place of surrender where I stop and I listen to my gut and I let it direct me. I try to take the brain out of it. And I, I, I look at that as tapping into my, the, the feminine intuition, sitting down in quiet and letting the universe tell me, guide me on how to move. And then the masculine side moving with inspired action 
and actualizing and activating um, the dreams and desires that I've planted into the universe. But yeah, the gut intuition, tapping into it and um, trusting it. What haven't I asked you that you, <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you, what do you, what would you like? I always like think that there's, you know, when I'm being interviewed on things, there's things that I want to talk about that don't get asked. And so I love to ask people, like, is there anything that you want to talk about or share that I haven't asked you about? Hmm. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, I can think of something, but I really, right now I feel complete. <laughs> I feel complete, but um, let me ask you a question. Please. How, how do you, how do you view being uh, a man in this world, what does that mean to you? What does that mean for you, mm -hmm. a man or a human in this world? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think it's it, it does come a little bit back to what I said earlier that I, I really believe everyone has to define this for themselves. But, mm -hmm. but for me, you know, I think the answer, it, it almost feels too simple. Um, and it's something that I've come to recently through uh, plant medicine journeys where there's moments that I've never felt so strong and so soft at the same time. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think that's what I want to be as a man is I want to be mm -hmm. grounding and powerful and strong and secure and reliable, disciplined and have integrity and I want to equally be gentle and loving and kind and empathetic and slow and soft and warm. Mm -hmm. I have I have a um I have a, a metaphor that I use. I think it's a metaphor. It might be an analogy. I never remember the difference. <laughs> but uh uh that I use that I, I think that you know we might be able to say this about everyone, but I believe that men are like fire. If we sit around a fire, if let's say we have a fire in our in our home and we sit around it. Why do we sit around it? Because it's warm. It keeps us like cozy. It keeps us warm. It has us, fires have us feel safe when we sit around them. They're easy to connect and bond over. We can stare into them and it actually has a, um, almost like a meditative impact on us, the way the, the light dances. We can cook food to nourish ourselves in it. So a fire does all these beautiful, amazing things. And what happens when a fire is out of control? Mm. It rages and destroys and, and mm. burns up and hurts everything that it can touch. Mm. Or what if a fire is untended to? It mm. burns out. It doesn't have the, the, the source of fuel to burn that it needs and it piddles out. And I think that men are like fire. When we don't have something to burn which I would believe is our passion or our purpose, we piddle out. When we, when we don't understand the power that's inside of us or we're, mm. or we're afraid of it, we either piddle out or we rage out of control and we destroy and hurt things. Mm. But when we're tapped into who we really are and what we're really capable of, 
We provide nourishment. We provide warmth. We provide security. We provide love. We actually provide all the things that a human being needs. And we are all the things that we need. Um, mm. So yeah, mm. that's, that's, that's how I see it, just for me. Beautiful. Thank you very much for sharing. There is actually, you, you did ask this question, but I would like to be very clear about how I share this. And I can start with telling the story, but um, I'll, I'll say that it's important that uh, men are allowed to feel all of the emotions because the description of what it means to be a man today for you is exactly what I feel. You know, for me, like balancing both being harmonious, your masculine and your feminine. It's hard, it's soft, it's grounded, it's all of it. Mm -hmm. So finding synergy and symbiosis, you know, um, between all of your parts and embracing all of your parts. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell a quick story. When I lived in New York, I yes. remember one day going to my hairdresser's place to get my locks done in in Harlem and I got on the subway. Well, I got it through the turnstile and I hadn't taken three steps. The police officer came to me, stopped me and oh, pulled me aside. And, oh, and this had happened a few times. And I remember being upset. I was upset. I was, I was crying. Cause I'm like, here we go again. I'm being stopped for nothing. And it was like, let's see the, um, the card you used to swipe in. It took me to the booth. They had the card swiped and they pretty much thought I had used either a stolen or a senior citizen's um, swipe card. And it did not escape me that this happened while school was coming out of session. And for me, this just reinforced the idea of the school to prison pipeline, you know, where there's 20 people walking through the stern style, but you see just me and stop me on the idea or a hunch that I was using a stolen swipe card. And back at the ranch, it was my corporate card I was using. But if I was a kid that had taken his grandmother's card or found a card on the floor and swiped it, this is how this kid would have ended up in detention or whatever it is. Anyway, sure. so I was going through all this emotion. Then, of course, it was my card that let me go. And I was crying and I recorded myself on the subway like I'm just over this shit. And I got to my hairdresser in Harlem and I was a little somber and she was doing somebody's hair at the, at the moment. And then she asked me, she's from another part of Africa. She's like, my brother, what's wrong with you? You look different today. And then I started to speak and I started to tell the story. And I was crying as I told the story. And <laughs> as I was telling the story, you could see her. I would shrink up and withdraw. And she was like, oh, my brother, please, 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 don't do that. Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And, uh, and I knew why she was doing that, but I took this as an opportunity to be like, actually, no, I am going to be fine. I'm like, I need to cry. I need to let this out. I need to release this. I'm like, this is one of the biggest problems in our society, in our culture today, is that we don't allow our men to feel all of their emotions. I'm like, start to encourage your men to either talk or cry or express themselves. Because when you don't express yourself, it comes out eventually, some way, somehow, but it usually yeah. comes out in very unhealthy ways when we don't express ourselves. You know, um, so that's what I want to finish with. Like, you know, men, allow yourself to feel 
all of your emotions. And this goes for me um, during this warrior's journey that I just took. Um, I realized that I hadn't allowed myself to feel anger in some years. I was almost bypassing it, trying to be zen and woo and forgive. But, and then I realized that I had some bubbled up anger that I had not released, um, which was actually blocking some of my blessings and things I was calling in. Um, so for the first time in a long time, I expressed anger and I released anger. So even that is good and it's healthy, you know, to be able to express yourself, find healthy ways to express things in the moment so that it doesn't build up and become a cancer. Mm -hmm. And yes, <laughs> I, you know, I agree with you. I think, um, I think the thing that people men don't realize is we are, it's not even men. This is all humans. If you're a human being, our emotions and our feelings are, are, are as natural as anything else. They're as natural as mm. our thirst and our hunger. And it's like having, we're, we're like a, um, like a pressure cooker. If we don't mm. allow the if we don't allow the steam to come out or the pressure, the thing will eventually explode. Powder keg. Yeah, <laughs> and we have taught ourselves to hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, and peep and look at our world. People are ex yeah. literally exploding all over each other in violence, yeah. in, in anger, and frustration. And but if we actually were to let that vent open like a little bit, right? That's what. You don't go to therapy because it's magic one time. You go to therapy or you hire a coach or you meditate or you go to a retreat because it's little by little letting that pressure out. And eventually yeah. you let enough pressure out. And when more pressure gets added in, you're like, oh, I can handle this. But Ooh. if we never let any out, it's just, we're just waiting for that moment where we get to explode. Yeah. Tor yeah. Tori, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking time out of your jungle experience primal <laughs> movement residency the warrior's journey but just your time in costa rica to uh to spend some time with us to share you know intimate and um and vulnerable moments of your life and experiences you've had um i'm just really grateful uh thanks for telling me that you wanted to do this i appreciate <laughs> i appreciate you um is there uh is, is there anywhere that anyone can reach out to you do you have like a social media or anything that you want to share with people you don't have to? Yeah, um, my social media is Nigerian Buddha, at Nigerian Buddha on, on um, Instagram. I'm building nice. my Nigerian Buddha website right now so that I can continue to bring primal movement to people as they're traveling and existing in their daily lives. So stay tuned for that. But Nigerian, B-U-D-D-A-H, Nigerian Buddha. Um, cool. on, on Instagram. Yes. And Alex, thank you for creating the time, the space, um, to be able to have this beautiful energy exchange. Uh, it's definitely been a pleasure and an honor. And I feel like, I feel like I just had therapy. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> All that. Thank you very much, brother. Yeah. Thank you. And to everyone listening. Please share this episode with a friend, with someone who needs to hear it, who will make a difference for. If you know someone that should be on this podcast or you think you should be on this podcast, you can always reach out to me, alex at thedreammason.com. If you're interested in one of my men's groups, they're in person in Chicago and in San Diego. And, and uh, we also host a virtual one weekly 
Um, I also have other resources like the where me and Tori met. Um, for if mine don't work out for you, I can send you somewhere else. And I also am hosting men's retreats uh, in uh, June of 2023 and October of 2023. If you're interested in that, let me know. Otherwise, uh, uh, Alex, sorry, if I can just add one more thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, check out Zunia.com. Um, we are taking for the first time this warrior's journey and transitions journey across the world. We start in Mexico in a few weeks. And then we'll be going to Portugal in uh, June, July. Um, we'll be going to Italy after that and I believe Morocco in October. And it's an eight-day transitional, transformational experience. So check out zunia.com, Z-U-N-Y-A.com. And it has all of the information for current dates and uh, the upcoming ones. Cool. Well, there's another resource for you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Please again, share this episode with a friend, someone who will make a difference for, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.